Biden and Putin make moves in the Middle East, just how much will the shifting sands change the geopolitical balance for India? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. Now, both US President Joseph Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin made their way to different parts of West Asia or the Middle East as it is known in the past week. Both visits were important signals meant to strengthen ties that have been historically strong. But the underlining theme was a way to shore up support during the Russian-Ukraine war for Washington and Moscow, respectively. So we're going to take a look at how both those visits worked out and how all of this could impact India. Of course, there was the I2U2 summit, which Prime Minister Narendra Modi took part in. That, and he was amongst the, those meetings that Mr. Biden held. And we'll tell you more. The big snapshot of the visit, of course, was this particular fist bump between Mr. Biden and Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Significant because Mr. Biden had once threatened to treat Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman as an outcast over the Khashoggi case. We'll tell you more about that as well. But first, let's just take you through Mr. Biden's tour from July 13th to 16th. He traveled to Israel, Palestine and Saudi Arabia, had bilateral meetings with each country. Then while he was in Israel, he also attended the I2U2 summit of India, Israel, US, UAE, virtually. In Jeddah then, he attended a meeting of the Gulf Cooperation Council, GCC countries, which are Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE, and along with them, three other countries, Egypt, Iraq, and Jordan. So all those leaders, nine countries, there in Jeddah and Saudi Arabia. So what was the purpose of Mr. Biden's visit? In an article he wrote for the Washington Post, Mr. Biden said that his goals actually were threefold, and he really spelt them out. One was to counter Russia's aggression in the Ukraine, he meant. The second to be in the best position to outcompete China, so not yet as much the fighting words are more for Russia than for China, and then to work for greater stability in the region. He later added while he was there that the US will not leave the Middle East, would not make space for Russia, China, and Iran. So really spelling those three countries out as the big challenge. So what were some of the achievements the White House put out of the Biden visit in traveling to Israel, certainly? He furthered Abraham Accords opening that was made by the Trump administration. He became the first person to fly directly from Tel Aviv to Jeddah under the Saudi decision to open its airspace for Israel. A big decision there. However, Saudi Arabia has not indicated yet that it will actually recognize Israel as UAE and other countries have. Mr. Biden also facilitated the first conversation between the Prime Minister of Israel, Yair Lapid, as well as the Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas just before his visit. And also ahead of his visit, the US effected a ceasefire in Yemen, reversed a designation of Houthi rebels, so they're no longer classified as a terror group, and brought about a ceasefire, at least for the duration he was there. And by holding the first summit of the I2U2 strengthened cooperation with India and the UAE and Israel on water, energy, transportation, space, health, and food security. Very quickly, because we have devoted an entire worldview to what was then called the Middle East Quad. It's gone through many names now. The White House seems to like I2U2, Israel, India, and then U2, which is UAE, US. What is I2U2? It is the arrangement which is so far a non-security mechanism for cooperation on development issues between the four countries. Foreign ministers of the grouping first met in October 2021. That's when we had covered it. Now the summit signals plans for cooperations have grown. And US, the US NSA even said the I2U2 could become for the Gulf region what the Quad 
has developed into for the Indo-Pacific region. Then let's go back to Mr. Biden's promises during that I2U2. And in fact, here's what the joint statement said. Two specific projects came out and both of them actually for India. The idea being that it is U.S. funding that is coming together with Israeli as well as UAE expertise. And it is going to be based very much in India. The projects will be very much in India, but for the benefit of the entire region. So one is that the UAE plans to invest $2 billion to develop food parks in India, where the U.S. and Israel will supply both technology and expertise. Second, that the group would develop a 300 million hybrid renewable energy project in Gujarat, a wind and solar energy with battery storage capacity. So some technology transfer involved in that as well. That was the visit to Israel. Then when he visited Saudi Arabia, Mr. Biden, to begin with, revived stagnant relations with Saudi Arabia. They've been quite bad for several years now, particularly in Mr. Biden's tenure. This was his first proper meeting with the Crown Prince. He also built a new coalition with the GCC plus countries, Egypt, Iraq and Jordan, as I said. And in fact, in this visit, Iraq was uh, plugged into the electrical grid with the GCC countries. He then made a very strong statement standing with all of those leaders, committing to stop Iran from procuring nuclear weapons. This is significant. He also attempted to make the case for the Gulf OPEC countries that they must help keep the price of oil low to avoid a global crisis due to the Russian war in Ukraine. He received no assurances. It must also be remembered that none of these GCC plus countries have actually joined the US and European sanctions against Russia for now. Mr. Biden also faced criticism in the US for having made a U-turn on earlier statements, saying he would not be meeting with the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who was accused of ordering the killing of Saudi journalist Khashoggi, Jamal Khashoggi, something he has denied. But the U.S. decision really to brush aside human rights concerns in Saudi Arabia for better bilateral ties does denote a rethink in the U.S.'s interests over values kind of way of looking at things, even as the U.S. is planning a democracy summit in December this year, where Prime Minister Modi is expected to travel. Let's then turn to the other big visit, the visit of Russian President Vladimir Putin to Iran in many ways was the real impact of Mr. Biden's visit because he went there a few days later for a summit with the Iranian president, Ibrahim Raisi, and Turkish president, Recep Erdogan. The three of them then issued a joint statement on Syria, interestingly, without the Syrian leader and the need for a political resolution there without external interference. Mr. Putin and Mr. Erdogan, who had a frosty beginning to their meeting of the Turkish president, was seen on video keeping the Russian president waiting for the meeting also discussed ongoing talks between Russia and Ukraine on grain exports uh, that are being hosted in Turkey. That is seen as the big breakthrough of the week. The Iranian supreme leader as well, Khamenei, met with Putin. He almost endorsed Russia's war in Ukraine, saying that if Russia had not invaded, NATO would have or something on those lines. The US, remember, has accused Iran also of supplying Russia with military drones for the war. And that particular visit showed a coming together of forces inimical to the U.S., a sort of rejoinder to all the unity we'd seen on the other side with Mr. Biden's meetings. Let's quickly weigh in on the pros and cons for India coming out of all these moves in the Middle East. Remember, one of the interesting things here is that both Mr. Biden's climb down with Crown Prince MBS, as he's called in Saudi Arabia, as well as the sort of reality check he received from the Turkish president, Mr. Putin, 
received from the Turkish president in Tehran, it would seem that these two global powers were actually shown that in the region, in the Middle East, uh, they still need to try and work with partners there, that they are no longer seen as unassailable top dogs, if you will like. So what are some of the pros, advantages for India coming out of all these, what they call shifting sands in the Middle East? One, that India has close strategic ties with Israel, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, GCC countries, and the United States. So any close ties, removal of disagreements between these countries should be termed as a positive step. Second, the I2U2 summit was a double win for India in many ways. Not only did they see that cooperation at the summit level, the two projects announced will hopefully bring investment opportunities to India. The Middle East or West Asia is an important region for India. We've said this in many episodes of Worldview on why, especially because 8 million Indians live and work in the region. And thus, any moves for peace and reconciliation, as with Yemen, Israel-Palestine, smoothing differences with Qatar, they're also seen as positive. The fourth, opening of an airspace, allowing trade, other ways of economic normalization, any part of the globe, especially post-pandemic, will facilitate global recovery. That's better news for India. And fifth, the US's decision to engage with West Asia, despite getting no assurances on it, its campaign against Russia, gives India too, which has held out. It, remember, it continues to buy Russian oil, for example. It gives India more breathing space. So what are some of the cons, the probably troubling parts of these two visits and what, what it means for New Delhi? The first is that the two visits clearly show a growing polarization between two parts of West Asia, both of which India is keen on keeping close ties with. Israel, Saudi and the UAE, the United Arab Emirates on one side, Iran on the other. Uh, Mr. Biden's statements in fact indicate America is going to further build on that divide. Clubbing Iran now with Russia and China, who are the US's identified rivals. So it's now the new access is Iran, Russia, and China, uh, which does not also all go well for the revival of the JCPOA nuclear deal with Iran, the removal of sanctions and other things, which do impact India. Second, Mr. Biden's visit, Mr. Putin's visit, have made one thing clear that oil is going to remain overpriced for a while. And India's choices, given that it was made to give up or chose to give up its best source of oil, Iran, in 2018 by the United States, these remain narrow for the moment. The third, the more the I2U2 gains in strategic consequence, the more it will look like a counter-Iran grouping. Because strategically, that's what the other three partners are involved in. Much like the Indo-Pacific Quad, for all its disavowals, is now widely seen as a grouping to counter China. This will affect India-Iran ties in the long run. And as Worldview has covered before, it doesn't help New Delhi, given its own strategic ties with Iran, the Chabahar port link, the international north-south transport corridor, the need for an alternate to Pakistan for trade transports to Afghanistan and Central Asia. These are all important issues for India. Fourth, for the same reason, Iran's platforming for the Russia-Turkey detente is also troubling for India, given India's tensions with Turkey over Pakistan, on its, its concerns on Kashmir and other reasons. And the fifth is New Delhi is being taken, seen as taking a pro-Western tilt then Iran, with its $300 billion infrastructure deal with China, as well as close military ties with Russia, could actually be seen as replacing India in some of the other groupings. Iran has, remember, now joined the SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and has applied to be included in expanded form of the BRICS as well. 
with Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Now, the careful balance that New Delhi has been walking between Moscow and Washington over the war in Europe clearly has now gained a new arena where India's balance in ties between uh, the, US, the Saudi, Israel, and UAE combine on one side and Iran on the other could get more difficult, especially as it continues to walk that line in the Indo-Pacific as well. Clearly, geopolitical jugglery is increasingly the greatest challenge of this polarizing world order. So let's quickly get you some reading recommendations. Obviously, I'm not going to try and repeat the ones of the past. So I've got some new books that have come in. One of them I've spoken about before, but the most comprehensive account from an Indian perspective of what's happening in West Asia, Middle East, is Ambassador Talmiz Ahmad's West Asia at War, Repression, Resistance, and Great Power Games. This is also the most up-to-date, actually, that you will find. Uh, another that's come out recently by Ambassador Anil Trigunyat, also posted in the region at various times, is called The Evolving Security Dynamic in West Asia and India's Challenges. It's a little more academic, but one very positive reviews. Uh, then there is a book on the making of the Abraham Accords. This is a very American perspective from Donald Trump's own envoy to Israel. At the time, the Abraham Accords were put together, David Friedman. It's called Sledgehammer, How Breaking with the Past Brought Peace to the Middle East. No books on I2U2 just to yet to recommend uh, thus far. There's this great special edition that came out last year by the Observer Research Foundation called the New U.S.-Israel UAE-India Minilateral in a Changing West Asia. It's an excellent piece. It's edited by Kabir Taneja and a number of writers have given inputs for it. And it, it really does put together all the difficulties, including the difficulty in just the name. A bit of history in case you are interested on how the British created many of the problems in the region by drawing the map, the Sykes-Picot line as it's called. A very sympathetic eye of his grandfather's role, the man who created the Middle East, a story of empire conflict and the Sykes-Picot agreement. This is by, as I said, his, grand, his grandson, Christopher Simon Sykes. A few books on Saudi Arabia are also quite, uh, are just out. One is called The Case for a New U.S.-Saudi Strategic Compact. This is by Stephen Cook and Martin Indyk. It's interesting because it's also indicative of how the U.S. is now once again looking at its old ally, Saudi Arabia. Uh, there's another profile of MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, called The Rise to Power of Mohammed bin Salman by Ben Hubbard. He's, of course, a New York Times journalist based in the region. Two books on the Iran-Russia-China new axis, since everyone's talking about it now, there are some books you can read. One is, of course, a very stilted American version called Three Dangerous Men, Russia, China, Iran, and the Rise of Irregular Warfare. Very interesting by Seth Jones. And the other, perhaps more balanced account called Triple Axis, Iran's Relations with Russia and China. This is by Aryan Tabatabai and Dina Esfandiari. So we hope you enjoy reading all of those and do join us again here on Worldview from the team here. Thanks for joining us.